0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Today is Monday, September 19th, 2022. Joe Biden finally, after quite a few months, decided to do a one-on-one interview last night with Scott Pelley on 60 Minutes, CBS's 60 Minute show. He did a one-on-one interview. We've uh, got a few, a couple of um, leaks out of it early to tease it. But the, the big stories that are coming out of this, I think, are... Um, uh things that I don't think the White House was prepared to leak and spin ahead of time, I mean it's hard to know where to start with this interview first off, Biden once again <laughs> eliminated all strategic um ambiguity around Taiwan the strategic ambiguity that we've had in place for decades, uh which doesn't necessarily commit us to military action uh, on behalf of Taiwan but certainly leaves the possibility open last night once again. It's not the first time he's done this. Uh, Biden made it clear that the United States would militarily respond if Taiwan was attacked, which is a line in the sand that uh, is is probably reality. Um, But just the same has been a... uh, has been the point of strategic ambiguity for a reason. And the reason is this is not to provoke China. China may not be as militarily adept as the United States. And in fact, I think we've over-assessed our enemies as we're seeing in Russia. And I'll have more on that in a second. Um, but it's still significant. And a war with China would be extremely risky. China is after all, a nuclear power and uh, they, they have, satellites such as North Korea that are also nuclear powers. You've got Iran, which is a quasi nuclear power, which would be uh part of that. Russia would probably join in. This is not the type of thing that you toss around, uh, without a great deal of consideration. And yet Joe Biden, once again, as jazz puts it in his, um, in, in his, uh, post this morning, uh, decided to just simply commit the you know, United States to war in, in that case. uh, not wise. And again, once, once again, a, an example of how Joe Biden is terrible at strategy. He's not even very good at tactics. Uh, he is playing checkers in a three-dimensional chess world. And this is just yet another example of Joe Biden uh, being incompetent and completely unqualified for this job. Uh in in I don't mean in a constitutional qualification, because he's old enough and he's a United States citizen. It's the only qualif it's the only formal qualifications you need other than to get people to vote for you, which he also did. However, in terms of competence, this is someone who never should have been given an executive job in the first place. And we can thank Barack Obama for that uh mistake, that historic mistake with Joe Biden. Uh, he also then went on to declare that the COVID pandemic is over. Now, this is also more or less a statement of truth. However, his entire administration is uh, going forward on the basis of an unending COVID pandemic emergency. They are fighting to reinstate the mask mandate on transit, you know, the air, on airplanes, on trains, on buses uh because and on the basis of the of a pandemic and their their supposed their claimed authority uh to make those decisions in a pandemic emergency, so if the pandemic is over, this appeal of this Florida this Florida decision in April is moot <laughs> is, there's no pandemic there's no emergency therefore there's no emergency power uh and then later after I read Stephen milredste's uh, his his tw- uh, tweet from last night. It occurred to me that that it also undermines another key policy that just got rolled out a month ago, which is Joe Biden's student loan student loan debt forgiveness plan, which is based <laughs> on the idea that we are still in a pandemic emergency. Don't forget that the Department of Justice and the Department of Education both said are relying on their interpretation of the Heroes Act. And the and Congress's uh, uh, granting of uh, authority to the executive in a pandemic emergency, in this specific pandemic emergency, in fact, uh, the power to uh, deal with student uh, student loan debt. Now, there's a lot of legal problems with this argument already. I've written about this before. First off, the Heroes Act only authorized the treasury, the executive branch, to make monthly payments on the debt. While the pandemic was creating um, economic uh, 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 up, up, upheaval, and they allocated a specific amount of um, funds for that—forty-five billion dollars—and that's it. That's the only appropriation that has been made, um, and uh, and and this is going to cost a trillion dollars. So the HEROES Act really wasn't going to, I, I doubt very seriously, that would have withstood legal scrutiny in court as long as you could get somebody standing to sue over this. But now Biden's declaring that the pandemic is over undercuts the entire grant of authority in the HEROES Act. It means that the HEROES Act no is moot. If there's no pandemic, there's no emergency. If there's no emergency, the HEROES Act doesn't apply. And so there's no basis now on which Biden can pursue his bailout of academia and i mean this is <laughs> this is a guy who just simply isn't thinking things through and you have to wonder whether or not he's even been the guy making these arguments in the first place, because if you're the guy making these arguments, if you're the guy who's developing these arguments, you would think that you would say, well, look, I can't, I can't ever say that the pandemic is over because otherwise my arguments on the CDC um, uh, authority to impose mandates and my uh, academia bailout uh, suddenly becomes uh moot. Clearly that's not the thought process that's going on at the white, uh, well within Joe Biden's head anyway. And so, you've got this sort of intellectual, um, I don't know what you'd call it, fog that's going on here. And because Joe Biden is off the cuff and he's just making it up as he's going along. And that's been true of his entire presidency. And then on top of that, and this is the subject of, um, (laughs) this is the subject of um, Dwayne Patterson's VIP column today. Uh, You've got Joe Biden saying that, uh, inflation's really only going up an inch <laughs> i mean this is this is nonsense <laughs> this and and what's more it's obvious it's an obvious lie he's he's arguing that inflation isn't really that significant. And it's an obvious lie. And it's an it's it's obvious to Americans who have to deal with the fact that they've lost ground on wages for five straight quarters and about to be six straight quarters uh, because they're still losing ground on wages every single month uh, when these PPI and CPI numbers come out and wages simply haven't kept up and nor will they uh, at this rate of inflation. You can't, Employers just simply don't have the money to keep up with an inflation rate of 8.3% year on year. And so they're going to, workers are going to lose money every single month. They have been for the last 15, 16 months, and it's going to continue to happen. So when you have a president that gets up on television and says, Oh, well, it's really not the big of an issue. It's really not the big of an issue. When, they're, when people are paying an average, an average of $460 more a month to buy the exact same stuff they bought 15 months ago, well, that's a problem. A lot of American households don't have an extra $460 a month, on average, to pay for groceries and gasoline and clothing and shelter, especially shelter. Rents are skyrocketing. Mortgage rates now are having to go up because the uh, the Fed is the only is the only entity that's trying to actually deal with inflation. And so, I mean, this is just one nonsensical statement after another from Joe Biden and we're going to have more on this. Karen's got a part, part of this. Joe Biden uh, wasn't clear as to whether or not he was going to run for re-election. That's another issue because they've been the White House has been insisting, well, he's running for re-election. He will run for re-election. Of course, we're not going to say anything officially, but all signals are that we're going to run for re-election. You got Joe Biden saying, "Well, I, you know, I I I I don't know if I'm going to run for re-election or not." Um so um is it a firm decision that I run again that remains to be seen? Um, he said. and um, and so uh, and, and Politico notes said, this is a lot less definitive than his declaration on the pandemic. Now, it's interesting, <laughs> I think, that Joe Biden has abandoned strategic ambiguity when it comes to Taiwan. But he's embracing strategic ambiguity when it comes to his relationship with the Federal Election Commission, because if Biden gets out and says, I am launching my reelection campaign today, of course, all sorts of rules then apply in terms of fundraising, in terms of spending, that sort of thing. Uh, You know, in-kind donation uh, questions come into play, that sort of thing. Uh, so clearly, I mean, it is smart not to not to get ahead of yourself, not to announce too early, especially if you're the incumbent president. It's probably a, a wise idea under normal circumstances, at least to hold off on that so you don't have to deal with those issues. And I mean, honestly, if he was an incumbent president that was performing at least competently, you would probably put it off for another year from now. Right. Maybe September, October is when you launch your reelection campaign because your own party isn't going to try to push you out of power. Uh, he's probably going to be forced to do this sometime in February or, or or March just to try to preclude people from getting too much momentum in pushing him out of the Democratic nomination, if he's going to do it at all. And so, I mean, he's all about strategic ambiguity when it comes to Joe Biden's interests, But when it comes to the interests of the United States, or for that matter, Taiwan, strategic ambu- ambiguity, eh, throw it out the window. It's absolutely nuts. And it's absolutely selfish. It's absolutely self-centered. And, uh, you know, there's been lots of, lots of rhetoric about Donald Trump being a narcissist. You know, you can make an argument that you have to almost be a narcissist in order to run for president in the first place. But uh, I mean, Barack Obama, we made that argument for Barack Obama. There was that the argument with the Clintons, both of the Clintons about being narcissists. And I think all of those have pretty good bases. In fact, Donald Trump's as well, but Joe Biden is at least as big a narcissist as, um, as uh donald trump is he just he just expresses it in different ways and this is an example of this it's all about joe biden it's uh nothing else than joe biden he's walking through the auto show without a mask we said oh yeah okay the pandemic's over <laughs> i'm thinking without thinking at all about what the implications of that statement actually are and how it undermines a number of his own initiatives it's he wanted to look good in the moment and interestingly, this was actually um, Red Steez's, uh point. Scott Pelley never follows up on that. <laughs> Scott Pelley apparently isn't even read into these issues well enough to do a follow-up question on that, such as, well, if the pandemic's over, why are we doing the student loan bailout? If the pandemic's over, why are you challenging that um, ruling in Florida? Uh, because it's moot. If the pandemic's over, the CDC's authority ends. Scott Pelley never bothers to ask a follow-up question. That was actually Red Steese's point, and it's a great one, but <laughs> I think that the larger point here is that now there's a whole host of administration initiatives that should be uh, canceled as a result of that, and the student loan bailout is certainly one of those. All right, on to some of the other stories. Um, you know, I've been following the um, developments in Ukraine and Russia for, you know, just as long as, you know, for the whole war. Um, and i've been putting a lot of them up in the headlines i try to only do maybe one post a day on this fleshing out some of the more important details and one of the more important details today is the fact that russia um at least sent, sent at least two separate attacks on uh around uh ukraine's second largest um uh nuclear power plant and that was today and this is not the plant in Zaporizhia, which is the largest one that they have. It's in fact it's the largest one on the European continent. This is in and I'm going to screw up this name, so please bear with me. Uj Yuzhn- Yushnokrainsk. I believe, is the is is the is the um name of the town that this is nearby. And uh it had two separate missile attacks uh in the last uh 24 hours. And this is as, of course, as Russia's, you know, Russia's lines are collapsing in the east and that they're trying to prevent a collapse in the southwest around Kherson, which is an important, it's a vital link between uh, Russian forces and Crimea. And especially now that uh, Russia can't relieve Crimea by sea, at least not easily, uh, because uh, the Ukrainians have proven rather adept at sinking Russian ships in the Black Sea, or Sea of of Azov, either one, and um, so they have to have a land bridge, and Kursan is the link. If they lose Kursan, if they have to retreat from Kursan, the Crimean Peninsula is going to be cut off. That doesn't mean that they can't defend themselves, but it does mean that they're cut off and they can't be relieved, and that is going to be a really bad position for Russian forces in Crimea. So, this is a very interesting development, and I've been really um, keeping up with this at the Institute for the Study of War, which is understandingwar.org. Uh, they have been doing a marvelous job of keeping an eye on all of the different aspects of the warfare that's going on in Ukraine, including what's going on in Russia. And what's going on in Russia is uh, they're they're talking about grinding up Ukraine uh, in order to own the NATOs, uh, basically, is what they're talking about. There is a um, Duma deputy named uh, Garulyov, who was on uh, Russian TV yesterday or, or maybe overnight, um, talking about how they're going to turn the UK into a Martian desert if NATO... Retaliates for nuclear weapons use in Ukraine. Uh, I mean, this is pretty bad stuff. And Gugruliyev is a is a you know Putin ally. So this is the type of thing that they're feeding into uh, the Russian people. However, there's so much carnage going on among Russian forces that um, that I think that this message is not going to be uh, particularly resonant. In fact, uh, one of the things that Goruliov says is that the Ukrainian forces are 50 percent mercenaries from NATO, which is absurd. <laughs> it's absurd. It's an absurd claim, but it's sort of a case of projection because Putin is trying to build a, an entire new army corps apparently out of irregular forces. They're recruiting criminals They're recruiting people from, um, uh, you know, who are uh, older people, retired people, uh, you know, people with with very little training. Uh, who are not going to perform well under combat conditions. And they've already seen that with uh, some of the conscript units that they've tried to send in there to rescue the positions in uh, in the south um, southeast and the southwest of Ukraine. Uh, so th- there's a lot going on in this. And I think one of the two things about this, and I'll just say this. Uh, one is I think it's very, uh, it's a very dangerous moment. For the Ukrainians right now, because Russia is about to get very, very desperate. Putin's about to get very, very desperate about the fact that they have that they have lost the initiative, they've lost the momentum, they don't have the um, any way to replace what they've lost. They're leaving behind tons of materiel that they can't recover and they can't replace, um, and that makes them dangerous. Which is the reason why they may be resorting to what Zelensky called nuclear terrorism. And the other thing that I think we need to be, you know, cognizant of is that this is still going to go on for a long time. Now, we talked about, you know, for months, we've talked about the fact that Russian Russian resources would probably get exhausted by September, sometime in September, maybe early October. And if they didn't win by that time, they would have to negotiate an end. And we're reaching that time. And this is, again, a dangerous place. Zelensky doesn't want to negotiate at this point. He wants to he wants to have this out on the battlefield because he wants to make sure that the Russian military is so damaged that they can't come back and do this again. Um, and I think that it, the other thing is he wants to recover all of them, uh, all of Ukraine, all of the Ukraine uh, territory that was recognized as sovereign Ukraine territory in 1991. He wants to go. He wants to recover every single last inch of this. And you can understand why they put up with the uh, Russian um semi-seizure of the Donbas and the Russian annexation of Crimea. They never acknowledged it, but they put up with it in order to avoid war. Well, now that war is here, Zelensky wants it settled once and for all. And that's understandable. It could be dangerous. And that's the reason why we need to be, you know, a little cautious about what we're cheering on, what we're not cheering on. Uh, certainly in terms of justice, that makes sense. Um, but given the risks involved, I, I think we're, what we're hoping for is a negotiated end to this that somehow creates a just outcome and um, hopefully one that completely discredits Putinism inside Russia for a very long time to come. That may take a while and we should be, we should be cognizant that this war is not going to end today, tomorrow or, or next week, even though we really like it to. And if it does, that's great this is going to drag on for quite a while longer. Um, And it's going to get uglier and uglier as it does. And I think that this thing probably doesn't end without, um, without Vladimir Putin falling victim to the Moscow window flu in one way or another, if you know what I mean. All right. Lots of other stuff coming up today at Hunter. Lots of other stuff is already up. In fact, Um, Jess has got a great post about um, uh, DC mayor Muriel Bowser Saying, well, you know, you can't, you you can't send the migrants here. We're not a border town. We're not Texas, (laughs) which Texas, I think being a, being a Texan myself. Now I can say, you know, well, screw you. (laughs) We've been doing it for a very long time. It's your turn now to deal with these situations. Um, And I I think that there was a great post yesterday, and I believe it was from Beej Wellborn, who's been doing a great job here, uh, that something about Fetterman's polling is scaring the bejeebus out of his campaign. Uh, That went up yesterday, still getting a lot of traffic today. It's uh, it's great. Uh, David Strom is insane. I'm just going to say that right now. I hired David Strom. He's completely insane. He's doing a great job. Uh, He's got a really good post about this uh, school teacher in Ontario, Canada, who's showing up with uh these humongous fake breasts he's a shop teacher who's identifying as trans and he's got these humongous enormous (laughs) fake breasts um and um and the school is defending this it's a high school (laughs) it's it's and as he says it's a pathetic parody of women and uh it's a great post you got to check this out uh there is a post up about a Taliban uh, fighter being freed from Gitmo and a prisoner exchange. Um, that's a, sort of a fluid situation. Excuse me, a fluid situation. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. And uh, much more to come. We've got lots of stuff to come. So be sure to check out, you know, Karen Townsend's not even up yet. Um your <laughs> first post is coming up uh we just have so much content right now that it's tough for me i I'm managing editor i've got i've got an embarrassment of riches now at my at my fingertips at hot air as do you we've got tons of content we're hoping that you're enjoying it and by the way later today maybe before this or maybe after this um uh podcast goes up we'll have the second half of our um uh conversation with adam Baldwin and the amiable skeptics this is about uh, authoritarianism, the constitutional response to it, and why Article Five matters. And I think you're going to find this to be a fascinating conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And uh, certainly uh, I enjoy it. every time I get a chance to sit down with Adam. He's a smart guy. And I am really enjoying his foray now into uh, his his renewed foray into politics. And I think you will as well as VIP members. So be sure to sign up for VIP. There's a short message at the end of this. And tomorrow I'll be back with Andrew Malcolm. I've got um, uh, Selena Zito, I think, coming up for Wednesday's podcast. Dwayne's back on Thursday. We're going to talk to Harry Crocker on Friday about his new Western novel uh, from Regnery. Harry Crocker from Regnery, who's got a new Western novel and, uh, and how that feeds into uh, conservative values. Lots of great discussions coming up this week, so be sure to not miss a minute of the Ed Morrissey Show podcast and find out how you can subscribe to my feeds as well as our VIP and VIP Gold programs. Our VIP Gold uh, conversation with uh, Cam Edwards takes place on Wednesday, so don't miss that as well. Thank you for listening and come back. Thank you for watching or listening to the Ed Morrissey Show Podcast. You can subscribe to us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and through the Town Hall Media Player. Or you can just come to HotAir.com and watch my podcast for free. However, I'd also love to have you join us as members of our VIP and VIP Gold programs. That allows us to defeat the stranglehold that big tech has on information and get you the best information that we possibly can. Plus, we have a lot of new value-added content coming to us from town hall media uh, stars. And my good friend Adam Baldwin, he and I are doing the video series, The Amiable Skeptics. It's one hour of discussion a week strictly for our VIP and VIP gold members. Plus, we have our VIP Gold chat with Kem Edwards every Wednesday afternoon at 1.30 p.m. We'd love to have you as members. Be sure to join up. Thanks again for watching the Ed Morrissey Show podcast.